my favorite Thanksgiving tradition. Oh, it's got to be football. You know, sitting down with family and friends and watching football, maybe enjoying a, a beer and some and some leftovers or some pies. It's a cliche, but I love it. Thanksgiving's all about football, family, and food. Lots and lots of food. My favorite thing to eat is probably mashed potatoes, specifically my mom's mashed potatoes. See, look, we've already transitioned into food. This is going to be a perfect segue. A perfect segue because Andrew Hardaway researches how food interacts with the brain at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill School of Medicine as a research assistant professor in the Department of Pharmacology. Welcome to Well Said, Carolina's official storytelling podcast. On today's episode, Andrew will explain the differences between binge eating and the overeating we all might do on Thanksgiving. So don't worry about loosening your belts on that day. But first, he'll define comfort food. I would say a comfort food is something that when you eat it, you get some other greater subjective feeling about it. It evokes some feeling of satisfaction or nostalgia that goes along with it in addition to it just tasting good. It's probably going to taste good too, but the specific like how much sugar, how much fat it has, is, and I think it's probably less important. I associate fried chicken and mashed potatoes with my mom, right? And so a, a novel food that you ate for the first time is not going to have that. The memories that are the most evocative to me are usually associated with music, smells, or food. So they have these like sensory components. All those things come together with particular foods, I think, to create a comfort food. But there's a difference between overeating a comfort food on Thanksgiving and a binge eating disorder. The really objective ways to operationalize binge eating is that it's a large amount of food consumed within a short amount of time. So those are kind of the objective components. A lot of food, short amount of time. For people who have binge eating disorder, there's also these subjective components as well. So for people who have binge eating disorder or engage in binge eating, they also have this sense of loss of control. Like they literally cannot stop eating. You can't snap them out of it when they've got a whole bag of Doritos or whatever it is that they're binge eating on. And Thanksgiving is this time where we kind of naturally let up on the brakes a little bit and we allow that to happen, but there's a ritual behind it. There is, there's a socialization behind it. And that's really different from doing this alone at your house with no one else around and being non-responsive and experiencing a loss of control. At Carolina, Andrew conducts his research out of a lab led by Thomas Cash of the School of Medicine. Tom Cash is my mentor and the principal investigator of the lab where I work now. He is in the Bowles Center for Alcohol Studies and the Department of Pharmacology. And most of the Cash Lab focuses on neural circuits of, of alcohol use disorders and how specific neural circuits in the brain contribute to specific components of alcohol abuse and alcohol use disorders. This fits in in that in terms of comparing food intake to different types of drugs of abuse or alcohol, there's actually a lot of shared neural circuitry between those two in terms of how they contribute to the consumption of those, whether it's alcohol or whether it's tasty food or whether it's kale salad or whether it's a drug of abuse like cocaine or, or, or opioids. There's actually a lot of shared neural circuitry between the two. Earlier this year, Andrew published a research paper about what's happening in brains when a large amount of food is consumed in a short amount of time, like, say, over a holiday meal, for example. He found something interesting happening in the amygdala, the area of the brain associated with memory, decision-making, and emotional responses, 
he found that cells in this area were highly activated after a period of binge eating. These cells were generating a peptide, or short chain of amino acids, similar to those targeted by hard drugs of abuse, like opioids. And so then we started digging into more of the specific cells in the central amygdala, and we found a novel cell population in the central amygdala. In the central amygdala, there are these cells that highly express this peptide called preperonosusceptin. And this is an opioid-like neuropeptide. It has been understudied and only kind of recently discovered relative to these other very well-known opioid-like peptides. And we got interested in that peptide because some earlier studies had shown that nociceptin can also evoke this same type of voracious feeding pattern. So that suggested to us that there's some kind of synergy here, perhaps between these cells in the CEA that express nociceptin and how nociceptin, the peptide, actually works to promote feeding behavior. What Andrew found is that tasty food activates preproniceptin cells in the central amygdala. He found a correlation, that they're activated during this process. But that doesn't mean that they're actually contributing to it. To determine that, he took a more causal approach to his experiment. He manipulated the amount of time there was access specifically to the high-calorie tasty food, and he used neural circuit tools at Carolina to analyze the brain activity when these cells were present and when they weren't. And so we did this acutely, so just short-term access to the palatable food. And then we did this over the long term, too. So those were two kind of causal methods we showed that not only are they activated, but they actually contribute to the palatable food consumption process itself. The key takeaways from this research is that these cells in the central amygdala are critical for driving hedonic food consumption. And understanding how the brain is involved in this process can help develop medications and therapies for people with food disorders. So there are ways that you can treat these people. First, I'll speak to people with binge eating disorders. They can be treated with behavioral therapies, and those work pretty well. Some people respond much better to behavioral therapy in conjunction with a pharmacological therapy. And there are some out there, but they don't work for all people. You might need to employ a cocktail of approaches to treat these people better. And for people with obesity, they might want to lose weight. They might not. It might be critical for those people to lose enough weight so that they can control their type 2 diabetes symptoms. For those people, it's very difficult to just flip a switch in their brain and change the behaviors, and they just need help initially treating those symptoms of diabetes. And obesity also increases the risk for a number of other conditions, right, especially cardiac conditions. For these people, they need another tool in the toolbox if they choose to use it. And so that's what we're going to provide. Andrew's research can apply to anyone when they sit down for their Thanksgiving meal, and even when they go back for seconds. The other part that is more of like the human experience element that I think about a lot, and that is the simple notion of comfort foods. A couple years ago when I gave a talk, I uh, started my talk. I always like to start my talks with a picture of something really tasty because I find that engages people. But I started mine with a picture of my mom. She had just cooked some fried chicken. That's one of my comfort foods. And I started with that because the comfort food idea is that we suffuse foods with emotional value. And so not surprisingly, what my work is showing and what other people have showed in humans and other species is that the amygdala, which is the brain's emotional centers, is important for this process of suffusing food with emotional value. At Thanksgiving, when you sit down and you think about your favorite food, think about how your amygdala is probably being activated at that moment. While we're all sitting down for Thanksgiving, Andrew will actually be in the process of moving. 
He's starting a new position as an assistant professor at the University of Alabama Birmingham's Department of Psychiatry, where he'll continue to research what's going on in our brains when we eat. In addition to all the boxes, books, and stuff he'll take with him to Birmingham, Andrew will also take the tools and skills he learned here at Carolina. It's been a really amazing experience, both from a basic science perspective of having all these wonderful tools at my disposal to do the research, but then having it being informed by a translational perspective has been so critical to this work. The UNC Center of Excellence for Eating Disorders here at UNC has been critical in this work and providing me with a translational mindset. I don't think I could have talked to you here today unless I had, you know, really spent a lot of time with these people and understood eating disorders better. I think that couldn't have happened really anywhere else. Um, and so I'm, I'm pretty grateful for this environment and specifically that interaction for this work. What's your comfort food? What will you be getting a second or third helping of on Thanksgiving? Share with us on Twitter at UNC. Or send us an email at wellsite at unc.edu. We'd love to hear from you and other thoughts and ideas you might have for us. You can find Wellsite wherever you listen to podcasts. So we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks for listening to this episode. See you next week.